の世界的な感染拡大を受け日本政府はアメリカやスペインイタリアなど70以上の国や地域からの外国人の入国を拒否しています。As the coronavirus pandemic spread around the world last year, many countries rushed to close their borders to foreign travel in an effort to keep the virus out. In Japan, borders were first closed to all foreign residents and travelers in April 2020. Since then, each new wave of the pandemic or new variant of the virus led to new foreign entry bans and confusing new sets of quarantine rules for travelers from different countries. As a result, thousands of foreign nationals were stranded overseas, loved ones were unable to visit family members, and partners were stuck on opposite sides of the globe. Yet, despite existing travel bans and a new peak of COVID cases in Tokyo this month, thousands of international athletes and media members were given special permission to enter Japan for the Tokyo Olympics, adding to the already considerable opposition to the Games. Last week, a state of emergency was extended because of a fourth wave of COVID infections from Tokyo. All the while, another group waiting to learn whether or not they'd finally be able to enter Japan is those foreign students and researchers who study programs and research fellowships. Remain in limbo as they wait for changes to the rules with no end in sight. Why have foreign students and researchers been kept out of Japan while others have been allowed in for the Olympics? What has the government reaction been to students and foreign researchers waiting to enter the country? And finally, what impact does this have on Japanese universities, many of which rely on foreign students to replace shrinking numbers of college age students in Japan? I'm Tristan Gruno. And this is Japan on the Record. For more on the plight of foreign students and researchers waiting to enter Japan, I talked with Dr. Chelsea Zendi Shider, professor in the Faculty of Economics at Aoyama Gakuen University and the author of Coed Revolution The Female Student in the Japanese New Left, published by Duke University Press in 2021. Dr. Shider is also the co author of the Open Letter by Concerned Scholars Regarding Japan's Border Closures. I started by asking Dr. Sheeter to tell us more about the letter and how it came about. Sure. So, anybody who has been trying to study abroad or work in Japan over the past, I guess now, year and a half has faced a lot of difficulties crossing borders. And of course, this isn't necessarily unique to Japan. Every country has had rapidly shifting policies about who can enter the country and who cannot with COVID. But in the case of Japan, there was a really pretty extreme border closure from early COVID until April 2020. So the border was pretty strictly closed to anyone who did not hold a Japanese passport. There were maybe some exceptions for people who had certain institutional affiliations or visa statuses. But then from January, again, only passport holders and long term visa holders, so people who already have some kind of visa to be in Japan, could enter Japan. And then any student or worker who had a visa in process or wanted to apply for a new visa was left in a kind of limbo. And this is something that touches people who are foreign residents in Japan, like myself, very personally. But also, as somebody in an educational institution, I was seeing that students from abroad could not enter Japan. And they had no clear idea of when they could enter. And so, people who had maybe fellowships or people who had you know, research grants, they had no clear idea of, of even how or when they would be able to enter Japan. So, 
So that's the the basic situation. And the people listening may have, you know, cases that are slightly different from that narrative I just gave. It's a really dynamic situation with a lot of different kinds of individual situations within that. But basically, I was sitting down with one of my colleagues, Ellen McCready at Aoyama Gakuin University, and we were talking about this and we were lamenting this. And this is a, a kind of a common conversation I've been having with other educators as well you know, concerns for ourselves and our families, but also concerns for our students, concerns for researchers, concerns for our institutions. And Ellen and I were complaining about this. And something I know from previous experiences that if there's something that really bothers you and something that you feel like, man, if there was a letter, I would sign a letter. Maybe you need to write that letter to make that happen. And so we felt like, well, let's write a letter. I mean, we have certain privileges with our institutional affiliation and we should try to use those to, to write a letter. We drafted a letter and we also reached out to other scholars we knew, and in particular, three professors at Tokyo University of Foreign Studies, Iris Hauptkampf, Nobuo Haruna, and Lin Odawara. And we worked on the letter together. We worked on a translation of the letter with consulting other scholars as well. And then we started to share the letter. We addressed it to the Minister of Justice. I mean, it's an open question. We did facts in the letter and, and it's an open question how much this will move the actual Minister of Justice. But we also really wanted this letter to be a way to alert people at institutions about the state of Japanese border closures and the impact it was having on students researchers and institutions. Because I think that, you know, many of the people who signed on to the letter, I think, feel that this situation is very close, but many others may not feel that this is particularly close to them. Maybe they haven't tried to enter Japan, or maybe they have, at this point, permanent residency status and can enter Japan. Or maybe they're not working with students who are staying up until two in the morning to do a class. So we were hoping to get more attention to this issue and, and emphasize that this is not a good situation for education to be happening. This is not a good situation for knowledge production. As you said, this is one of those issues where if there's a letter, then you want to sign it. I mean, I signed it. And as of July 17th, 2021, in fact, the open letter has been signed by a total of 518 academics and students from all over the world. And so as this shows, this is certainly an issue that many people feel very strongly about. I, I noticed there was even another change.org petition with over 13,000 signatures now. And mm -hmm. there was even a YouTube press conference featuring students affected by the band with thousands of views. So I'm curious, how much have you been in contact with these other groups? What has the reaction from the community been like? And has there been any response from the Japanese government? Yeah, yeah, so the open letter actually put us in touch with these other groups. After we wrote the open letter and circulated it, we heard from the author of the change.org petition, and he mentioned that they had this petition as well. And then also through circulating the letter on Twitter, I was contacted by international students who were stranded out as well. And they put me in touch with the group Education is Not Tourism with Davide Rossi that did the press conference. One really big challenge, I think, has been to get into Japanese news media. NHK did cover that July 19th event by Education is Not Tourism. And our letter, I think, also was part of this is we wanted it in English and Japanese because I think that this is something that a lot of people in Japan don't realize is happening. And they don't realize then that there's this real gap between what is allowed for the Olympics to happen and what is allowed for other Japanese institutions to, to kind of continue their business. We didn't really address the plight of workers in our letter because we're educators, we're in educational institutions, but workers can also not enter Japan and students and researchers can't enter Japan. 
I don't want to call it a consciousness raising exercise. It's not quite like that, but we were hoping that that would also encourage news media in Japan to pick this up as a story that was important in Japan. There have been more stories in media in English language, but less in Japanese. And, you know, there are a lot of concerns right now during COVID, but particularly around the Olympics, there was a lot of discussion that, you know, it's not fair to the athletes to not hold the Olympics because they've been preparing their whole lives to perform in the Olympics. But when you see that so many other people have had their lives put on hold, sometimes with really I don't want to be hyperbolic, but pretty disastrous consequences. I mean, people have quit jobs to accept scholarships and then not been able to enter Japan and been in a state where they're not, you know, their income is reduced and it puts stresses on people's personal relationships. We've heard many stories since circulating this open letter, many stories of people who, you know, feel like this has like ruined marriages, right? Also stories about scholars who finally hear that they're able to get a visa for them to study abroad in Japan, but the visa will not also allow them to be accompanied by their family and their family might include, you know, an infant, right? Like in one case, it was like a very, someone had a very young child, and they were supposed to go. And so they were like, do I choose my career, my education, or do I choose my child? And they're put in these really difficult situations. And I think that we wanted there to be more awareness about this, because I don't think these voices were making it through into Japanese media. You mentioned the Tokyo Olympics are going on now. And while the Japanese government did not allow spectators or foreign tourists in to watch the games, there are nonetheless thousands of athletes and media members from all over the world given special permission to enter Japan. And so that really highlights this incongruity, I think you were mm-hmm. talking about, of allowing in media and athletes while keeping out students and researchers. Do we have any idea of how many people this is impacting? Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is especially a problem when you think about Japanese universities really needing mm-hmm. these students. Mm-hmm. There are whole programs. My program is a little less dependent on this. We have very few exchange students. But even in that case, I mean, we had very few and now we have none. And then there are whole programs that are really dependent on exchange students. Japanese universities have been doing more of kind of a global Japanese studies programs. And if those students cannot enter this country, those programs are in big trouble. The number of young Japanese people is declining year to year. And so Japanese universities have had to think about how to recruit students you know, there's fierce competition for students in Japan, and then how to recruit students from abroad has been suggested as a as a way to overcome this issue. But these border closures have completely disrupted those efforts. So that's been kind of disastrous. And so something that I actually find very worrying as kind of maybe a meta phenomenon, I mean, I'm primarily worried at this moment about the lives of these students who can't come to Japan and to study abroad and this immediate effects on actually living people. But a kind of epiphenomenon that I suppose rather chills me is, is that this encourages a, a sort of xenophobic understanding of disease and contagion as well. Because when we're saying that we would like for there to at least be more transparency about border closures. So I would just like for people who want to study abroad in Japan or work in Japan to have a sense of when their visas would be approved. I mean, we're also, of course, saying that they would agree to whatever they have to agree to, to be vaccinated, to go through quarantine. But the fact that even in that case, many people are stranded outside of Japan to me speaks to this idea that contagion is from the outside. And 
you know, my students have very few opportunities to engage with anybody from outside Japan. And then if you don't have foreign exchange students and you don't have students from abroad coming, that reduces the chances even further. And yet in Japan, you have free movement within the borders. And it does create this idea that there are certain bodies that bring in contagion from the outside and certain bodies that don't spread contagion, which I think kind of worries me down the road a little bit. So has there been any sort of government response at all to any of this, whether your open letter or or these other petitions, press conferences, have you heard anything at all? Not that I know of. No direct responses. We did fax in our letter. I also attempted to submit it online several times, but it did not it did not work. We may decide to contact the Ministry of Education. That was suggested by many people. But the Ministry of Education, I think, also has wanted this policy to be changed. It's really the Ministry of Justice that controls the border policies. And now I'm going to get into some territory that I'm not an expert about in terms of, you know, it's been learning a lot on the fly. But it does seem to to have a letter like this and to have it's signed by people who are educators, who are PhD students, who are researchers, who are professors. I think it gives the letter a certain amount of weight, and it's good to have this letter and then be able to show people this letter, I think, is very important in that context. But there has not been an official response yet, no. To be quite honest, it would be awesome. It would be amazing if you know, the Minister of Justice would respond directly to our letter but I'm a little skeptical about that happening. I think it's much more likely that people who didn't really realize this was happening would realize it was happening and begin to wonder why that's happening. And that kind of pressure, I think, could change policy more than perhaps just the letter itself. And speaking of Japanese universities trying to attract foreign students to replace shrinking numbers of college-age Japanese, I mean, this really comes into direct conflict with the kind of policies you're talking about and makes me wonder, how do we reconcile this? Can there be some kind of resolution here? Yeah, I mean, I just don't think this can happen for forever. And, and within Japan domestically, we have a lot of talk about the new normal and living with COVID and how we're just managing expectations of the population, kind of being like, well, we're going to be wearing masks for a while and so washing our hands and things like that. And But then there are other things that, that really are not necessarily sustainable for very important institutions in Japan, right? I mean, I'm concerned about the individual lives of students, but also at the institutional level, this is hurting Japanese universities and this is not sustainable. So something will have to change. I'm Tristan Gruno visiting assistant professor of modern Japanese history at Pacific University, and this has been another episode of Japan on the Record. Stay tuned for future episodes to hear scholars of Japan bring their expertise to bear on issues in the news. Thank you for listening.